Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Sit back and enjoy stories and insight from sports icons from all over. Are you kidding? This is unbelievable! Touchdown Bombers! Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today's guest is host from ESPN, Arda Ocal. Arda, thanks for joining today's episode. I'm super excited to talk about a variety of things with you. You got a whole whack of different things you've been involved with during your career, especially now being at ESPN. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for inviting me. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing absolutely excellent. How have things been with you recently? Great. I mean, as good as they can be, uh, obviously still dealing with the pandemic and everything and trying to be safe and, 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 uh, about everything, but, uh, work-wise fantastic. Honestly, no complaints. Uh, very happy. Uh, joined ESPN in 2019 and I've been doing a lot. Uh, I, 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 I joined ESPN as sort of a Swiss army knife, to be honest, contributing to a bunch of different places. Uh, whether it was say a, a soccer digital show doing like, I don't know, let's say MLS cup final or, uh, whether it was doing esports or whether it was uh, UFC, MMA, boxing, whatever the case may be. And it's still very much the same. One day today, I might host Sports Nation on ESPN Plus and do Sports Center on Snapchat. The next day, I might host In the Crease, uh, which is uh, an NHL on ESPN show. And of course, that's going to grow with the NHL moving to ESPN in the fall. We were on the precipice of that as we record this. And then uh, another day, it could be hosting SportsCenter, whether it's a morning episode or an evening episode or even a 6 p.m. Uh, edition. So uh, I'm very happy, man. Like uh, things are doing, things are going very well for me. And, and I'm just very thrilled and humbled by it all. You have so many things you just mentioned that you've done with ESPN, kind of being that Swiss Army knife, whether it be features, whether it be different sports, different types of shows you're hosting on different mediums. The digital medium is growing like crazy. Esports is something too that has really taken the world of sports by storm. I didn't even believe it myself at first, but it's really grown into something that has more than a life of its own. Talk a bit about your experience with getting involved in esports and how you've seen its growth in the time that you've been working. Because being a bit older, you've seen the the way beginning of video games before the days of people playing online and all that stuff. So what has been your perspective on the growth of esports? Well, first of all, saying I'm a bit older, thank you for confirming my boomer status. Really appreciate that, my friend. Uh, with that being, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. With that being said, uh, well, listen, there wasn't a such thing as esports going to the whole old thing. Like when I was growing up, like there was no, there wasn't even internet. Like it was, there's no such thing as playing people online, right? You would either play video games on your couch with your family and friends, or you'd go to an arcade and play there. Right. And sure, maybe there was a street fighter two tournament or something to that effect, but it, it, it wasn't a global tournament to the likes that we, to the, to the reach that we see now with the likes of league of legends or rocket league, call of duty, whatever, overwatch, pick one. This grew this is a relatively recent phenomenon, even though uh, esports have been around for a very long time in varying degrees with different titles, and some of them last the test of time. I mean, Melee is a perfect example of that. I mean, Melee is a game that came out in the early 2000s, and it's still a thriving scene 
today in 2021 as we, as we sit here, right? But for me, like my first introduction to true esports, I mean, I was always a gaming fan. That was my number one hobby growing up. I, I loved sports. Obviously, being Canadian, I was big. I am a big hockey fan. I grew up a giant hockey fan. I loved professional wrestling. I loved combat sports, boxing. I, I those are the things that I gravitated to growing up. But video games were my number one hobby when I wasn't, you know, at school or whatever. I, I, I would love when, when, when there weren't any sports on. The first thing I would do is play video games because I just love them. And so, when I heard that there was gaming being done competitively for significant prize money and it wasn't just to say a marketing stunt a once a year thing that let's say the nintendo world championships or something like that like this was a regular league being put on in different games i was obviously intrigued and my first esports event actually was in 2016 so i was pretty late to the game by then league of legends especially was very well established as an esport and my first event was for ESPN and it was at Madison Square Garden and it was covering the League of Legends World Championship. We had a digital desk there and that's where I got hooked. I just went two days consecutively, sold out tens of thousands of people, what is it, 20,000 people or something close to that in MSG where I had seen hockey and wrestling and other events, Knicks games. And now I'm seeing esports and it's blowing my mind, right? Like it's giant screens up above the arena hanging by that famous ceiling at MSG. Mm-hmm. And people are loving it and they're going crazy over these two teams from South Korea. And it's amazing. People are loving it. And I just got addicted to it. I, 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 I fell in love with it. I, I saw the appeal instantly. And then from there, I did a, a, a many more events going to BlizzCon or doing local events covering many different esports and gaming as well. Remember, like for people watching this, esports and gaming are two different, are, are two subsets of, of a overall genre, right? Esports is the competitive nature, the la creme de la creme. It's like the NHL, the NBA, right? Gaming is more content creation, like let's say the Harlem Globetrotters or something mm-hmm. to that effect. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's in no way am I dissing the Harlem Globetrotters. I'm not whatsoever, but the NBA is the top of the top. The NHL is the top of the top. And then you have content creators that are creating uh, within the realm. And so that's equally as interesting to me, right? What are streamers doing? How are they making their money? How, what's interesting to people? What games are popping off in live streams on YouTube gaming and Twitch? I mean, there was just a story. This was it within the last week about Dr. Lupo and Tim the Tapman signing exclusively to YouTube gaming, which is fascinating that those are two prominent streamers, particularly Tim the Tapman. But Dr. Lupo had been doing so much charity work with Twitch, and Twitch even donated a million dollars to his last charity drive that he does with St. Jude. And now all of a sudden he's changing allegiances to YouTube gaming. Like Things like that are fascinating to me, right? Like making your primary income and a very good one at that in gaming, uh, You know, whether it's an organization, whether it's an uh, individual streamer, uh, what games exist, you know, even the creation of games, like all of this is very fascinating to me. And going back to your original question, I honestly believe that this realm uh, will only grow from here. And it's, it, I, I find it very interesting to see how and where it grows. Certain things, I think that uh, might come down to earth a little bit, but other, other pieces of the pie, so to speak, 
uh, are ripe for immense growth. Esports, as you mentioned, is something that wasn't even fathomable 20 years ago. I still have old video game consoles kicking around my house. My brother got a Sega Dreamcast for seventh birthday, and I've still played it to this day the same way that people play PS5 and Xbox Series X. But I guess that's just to my preference. And I used to think as a kid, oh, there's no way you could ever play video games professionally. That's just a, it's just a hobby. It's a pastime. But now there's people that are getting as much money and if not more prize money than people who are winning Grand Slams in tennis, winning the Super Bowl, whatever it may be. You see, I guess Ninja would be probably one of the most famous gamers out there that, or I guess esports players. And I remember talking with friends initially when he won a tournament that won millions of dollars and he started to get, gain all this fame and attention. People were like, well, it's not a real sport or that's illegitimate and I don't care. And while you may not agree, you can't ignore the fact that its growth is far greater than probably any other sport that exists out there right now because football or soccer, basketball, volleyball, they've all been established for many years, whereas esports is still hitting. It has, has yet to hit the apex of the curve. It's still going up and up and up. So with, one thing with, one thing that esports has done really well, just to add to your point there, mm-hmm. is that they've captured a younger audience. Uh, to, to your point, a lot yes. of established sports have an older audience base simply because they've been around for so many decades and in some cases over a century, like baseball, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, in, in that case, there are established fans, but that gets passed on generation to generation. So while some traditional sports might certainly have a youth problem in that a lot of younger generations are not necessarily turning to those sports, Esports and gaming in particular is growing because what's also happening is the quality of the games are increasing at such a rapid rate, right? Games, the evolution of games has been very quick. Even even look at Nintendo versus Super Nintendo. That was double the bits from 8 Mm -hmm. to 16. And then you went from 16 to 32, 32 to 64, 64 to 128. So the evolution of the games year uh, over the generation of consoles has, has jumped leaps and bounds. And we're seeing that even more so with the generation now with PS5 and Xbox Series X, like you said. And now even VR coming into play and AR, augmented reality, and what we're able to do with video games and enhance our senses as we play these games and, and the possibilities. I, I truly think that by like the technology curve is growing so fast that in 10 years, we may see video games completely differently than we see them today. You touched on an interesting point with how fast they're, the, the technology is evolving. And I want to ask you a question based on your experiences. I've seen videos and had a lot of conversations with people who talk about games becoming they've evolved so fast that the quality can sometimes dip in terms of uh, with how many games are coming out. You'll see one or two that are just absolutely uh, they're huge hits. And then the rest are just, they seem like they're flimsier. They're just uh, cookie cutter, widespread brush methods that are used to make them. So do you think, that there can be a problem with them evolving too fast or that there's such a thing as evolution being too quick. Because if you look at, sure, the technology is way better now. And if you look at the size of games and how much space you have to have on your console just to play 
the most advanced Call of Duty game or whatever it may be is hundreds and hundreds of gigabytes, more than a basic laptop. Whereas on my Dreamcast, I can burn a game onto a one megabyte or a, a one gig CD mm-hmm. and have hours and hours of fun. Obviously, the yeah. quality of the game may not always be as good, but do you think there's a problem or that there could be a problem with games evolving too fast with their technology that people, they, they take for granted how good the game is? You know what I mean? I, I don't think so. I think that's just more an audience retention thing. I think that uh, there, it would always be a meritocracy in the sense that if a game is good, people will buy the game and people will talk about the game. I think that there's many examples of independent games that suddenly blow up because they are so fun to play and they're so unique. And I will also say that there are companies like Nintendo that don't jump on trends immediately. Like VR is establishing itself, but Nintendo hasn't jumped into VR just yet. I mean, they obviously in the nineties, they had virtual boy. That's a completely different conversation. I'm talking about the today's iteration, like for example, doing a super Mario VR game or a legend of Zelda VR game. Nintendo's fantastic at refreshing their intellectual property. We'll see Mario games and Zelda games for the rest of our lifetime at the very least, if not for who knows how long, how many generations this will go on because there will always be new technology and they'll be able to capture it. I mean, typically with Nintendo, their current generation console is usually less powerful than the Sony and Microsoft alternatives. They've, they've never really been the most powerful console, but what they do is that they monetize their IP so well that people don't care. The Switch doesn't have to be the most powerful console because it innovated in different ways. It allowed you to take the game with you. And now we're finally seeing a competitor to the Switch hit the market, I think, with Valve. And so, but like, that's how they, that's how the Switch innovated or Nintendo innovated, pardon me. So I don't think that technology is going too fast. I think that that there will be limitations. Like one of the biggest limitations for virtual reality is just the idea that human beings can't stomach the movement sometimes you get nauseous right like that's just the biological thing that we have to figure out you know and and there are companies that are dedicating themselves to try and solve the you know what i mean like like vr is presenting scenarios that the human condition or or human beings have never experienced before Mm -hmm. you know like, like, like I, I use an example. There's a game called Richie's Plank Experience where it takes you to the top of a skyscraper and then there's a wooden plank that walks out and you can look down in your VR helmet and you see the ground like 50 stories up or 100 stories up. And when I'm looking through the VR glasses, like it feels like I'm that high. Like I get that same like visceral reaction, like, yeah, yeah. like we're Canadian, right? If you go to the top of the CN Tower and you stand on that glass floor... Like, I hate looking down the glass floor because you see all the way down, like 500 meters up or whatever it is, right? Yeah, exactly. So, like, that scares the heck out of me. So, I'm definitely afraid of heights from that point of view. So, like, imagine that in VR, but you're not in the air, right? But you, your mind tricks you into believing you're in the air. Like, things like that even, like, just different things and sensations, uh, particularly with, with, with VR technology, uh, there will be some hurdles to cross there. But yeah, I don't think, I mean, I don't think that it's necessarily a speed of technology thing. I will say this, in terms of the volume of games, that's not a new problem. One of the reasons, so there's a famous story on why the Atari in the 80s died, or, or, or the video game industry went through um, a, a big lull in the early 80s. And the, and the story goes, um, E.T. was a game that was rushed, 
and it went to market and it was awful and it ruined the video game industry and the video game industry went in through its dark ages in the early 80s until Nintendo came to North America and Super Mario Brothers revitalized it, right? Like that's basically the Coles notes of the story. Yeah. But if you dig a little deeper, you'll also realize that E.T. wasn't the singular reason the video game industry died in that moment. Died is a strong word. I should say like severely got impacted or like went through a big valley. It's because the market was flooded with tons and tons of awful games and consumers were getting burnt out from playing these awful games because there were so many on the market. And what Nintendo did when they finally rejuvenated the video game industry is they put their own chip in the games such that they could control the quality of the games. They wanted to make sure that learning from Atari's mistake they didn't want so many games out there that it would flood the market and, you know, poor unsuspecting parents go to the store and want to buy a video game for their kid and they don't know what to buy. So they just pick whichever one they think is cool, but it's actually an awful game. Well, Nintendo wanted to make sure they had a seal of quality and that's why they regulated how many video games were made for their system so that parents could at least have some sort of peace of mind or consumers can have some sort of peace of mind that what they're getting is not trash. Yeah. So it's, it, it was really like, that's not a new story. And, and are there tons of video games on the market? Of course there are. But now the developers, anyone can develop a video game. Like you and I could would join forces and get a yeah. bunch of developers and create a video game. Exactly. But if it's not good, it's not going to sell, right? And, and that's, or if we don't advertise it, right? It's not going to sell, right? So like there are many factors to why a video game might fail. If you're like most people, you strive to eat healthy as much as you can, but it gets really difficult when life gets in the way. We get busy, we're running around doing lots of things, it's hard. Being able to eat healthy on the go is super important more than ever now, and that's why I'm here to tell you about G2G Protein Bars. They're the best protein bar for eating healthy on the go. It's made with all natural ingredients, they're fresh, it tastes like homemade, but it's even better. G2G Bars have 18 grams of protein and are gluten-free. With eight different flavors, there's so many different things that you can enjoy about the great tastes of G2G bars and what they have to offer. They're fresh, healthy, and delicious. Make sure to get yours at g2gbar.ca or at your local retailer in Canada or the US. Yeah, and I love the story you bring up because even for myself in junior high, I loved watching the Angry Video Game Nerd on YouTube. Like that to me was was a religious uh, tradition. And I loved diving into how bad some of the games could be from back then. And now, mind you, I try not to get too exhausted in the in a cesspool of negativity because if you look on YouTube, you see how many more views and how much more engagement trashing a video game gets in a video compared to, oh, this game is so great, right? But to this point, he, talk, he, he talks about in several of the, of the reviews he has on games that were made by Atari and E.T. is just one of the many that all you have to do is slap a, a famous movie or pop culture artifact on a video game and boom, kids are going to go buy it in the stores. Or like he, the, the specific quote that he has is when he was reviewing the Wayne's World game that came out for the Nintendo and Super Nintendo, he was saying, who cares? As long as it says Wayne's World on it, kids will want to buy it. And then he uses the, the, the part of the movie where Noah from Noah's Arcade says, kids know dick. And that's, that's the point is because back then there was no internet to review how good a game was. When until there was a seal of quality, 
how are you going to know if it was worth buying the game? And video games were still super expensive back then. It wasn't like they were 20 bucks and any person could afford them. No. So the fact that there are that's there is that seal of, of quality now, it's made games way better on average. Even people, well, not every game's going to be perfect and people are still going to trash games that suck. And, and like you yeah. said, like we can develop a game, but if it sucks, it's not going to sell. Right. And, and, and even the paradigm is shifting, right? Like the, there are free games like Fortnite is free to play where they make their money is cosmetics and battle passes and, and, and things mm. like that. Right. Like even the model is changing. Like you might see every video game system go to a subscription service and you're already sort of seeing that, right? Like what is it? Mike Xbox gold or whatever the case may be EA play there's, there's many subscription services where you can play the up-to-date games in a cloud and they're just there for you. So you can just pay 10 bucks a month or whatever it is. And you get a bunch of games, you get a hundred games. And through that, that's another thing. Maybe through a service like that, people might try a game. They might not have otherwise purchased for $20, but because it's part of the service, maybe they will give it a try now. So <laughs> there are other ways other than consumers buying your game where you can get it out to the masses. Yeah. And if, and that's a great point because I used to think when I would download music, oh, why would you ever pay $1.99 a song? That's ridiculous. What a ripoff, right? You want to pay more for a premium song in, in an iTunes store, but now you just have to pay five bucks or 10 bucks a month. And for people, hey, no worries. It's way easier. I can get whatever songs I want that are available in the service, but you have to pay per month. Like add, add in, uh, you know, like till the, till the end of time, right? Like until you unsubscribe. So they can actually make more money from lowering the price and making the whole library available to people rather than making them pay per thing. Cause then that's going to make consumers way more skeptical since consumers have become a lot smarter and more educated and informed since the eighties because of the advent of the internet and the age of information has just boomed with digital access and, you know, the used car salesman tra tactics don't really work anymore on consumers, especially when it comes to video games, right? It's going to get thrown to the wolves if it sucks. And if it is amazing, it's going to have its praises sung to the high heavens. So if you are in the esports industry, this is the perfect time and the perfect place to dive into something that's only continuing to grow as we speak. Well said. So I want to ask you about some things with your career, because you've been involved with what outside of ESPN, you work with the score weather network, you've done tons of hosting and are just a great conversationalist in general, but I want to throw it back to the score first, because I've noticed a great trend with people who had their start there and really have made a huge impact across the Canadian and American, as you now are in with ESPN uh, media landscape. Talk about how you got to the score and what some of the key things or experiences were that you had there that gave you the opportunity to flourish and to continue to grow into the broadcaster and host that you've become today. So how I got to the score was I started as a volunteer back in the day. They had a Canadian television station that was national. Now people, most people know it as an app mm -hmm. and uh, whether it's the score esports or the score app, obviously, which is the biggest thing. And then uh, now they're getting into the gaming space as well, the gambling space. And Back, back in the day, about 10 years ago, uh, at least, it was also a Canadian national television sports channel. And also, Hardcore Sports Radio was a Sirius XM channel. And that's where I got my start. I was a volunteer for Sirius XM, worked my way up to become a part-time employee as a producer, and then uh, pitched uh, what became right after wrestling slash aftermath. And that was really my big break, so to speak, in, in Canadian media doing that WWE after show. 
Uh, and I, I pitched, I just basically filled out the one page form and pitched the show and it got greenlit in 2009. And that show was on the air for over 10 years, which is unheard of in any market for a show to be on for longer than a year is a celebration, a, a, a success, I should say. But for it to have been on the air for 10 years is unbelievable. And uh, I, I am very proud of that because um, it, that show was definitely a success. And it was that show was very good to a lot of people, uh, whether it was in their careers or giving them a second life. Like, like my friend Jimmy Corderas was a referee for WWE for over 20 years. And that basically gave him a second career uh, to be on Aftermath right after wrestling as a broadcaster. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of the, that time. And like you said, like the score was such a, the, the, the Canadian media landscape in sports was very much TSN and Sportsnet battling for number one and number two. And the score was the little engine that could, and it, it, it needed to thrive on creativity because it was definitely the place that didn't have all the rights. We didn't, the score didn't have hockey rights. The score didn't have Raptors basketball. The score didn't have Blue Jays baseball. The score, I think at one point, maybe had some March Madness, maybe had some uh, um, Serie A Italian soccer here and there. Their biggest property really was WWE. And that's why Aftermath worked was because it came out of WWE programming. So wrestling fans just stuck around to hear what people had to say about wrestling. And so that's that was the secret sauce, really, because people were already there watching it. And people then just grew to like the people on the show and wanted to hear their opinion on things. So... Um, but, but yeah, like the creativity and the people was what really made that show or that station successful. You had people like myself and, you know, uh, Tim and Sid and, and, you know, like, look where they are now. Like Tim is flourishing at Sportsnet and Sid is on breakfast television in Toronto. And you have people like Cabby who, um, you know, was doing amazing things at the score. And now he's working with Bleacher Report uh, in, in, in Vegas and, and absolutely crushing it. And, and Renee, my partner, on the aftermath for many years, went on to WWE and became a big star. And then the sky's the limit for her. She's incredibly talented. Uh, and the list goes on. Like there's so many people that worked at the score. And the thing is, is that if you were creative, they were receptive to your ideas in many ways because they were looking for ways to differentiate themselves from what was already in the market. And that was refreshing for a lot of people and people took risks and chances and tried things and they didn't always succeed, but in large part, a lot of people were successful and they were able to, if nothing else, springboard into bigger and, and, and more lucrative jobs, so to speak, because of their time at the score and how much freedom they had to create so, and it was, it was also refreshing being around so many creative people and hungry people because they wanted to compete. It felt like you were a part of a movement. It felt like you were really working towards the same goal, trying to increase the profile of the station and also, you know, create something good from within you. So, uh, yeah, I look back on those days fondly because uh, I, I had the opportunity to do that. And, 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 and a lot of the things that I did there was creatively fulfilling. So, uh, yeah, no, there was so much talent came from the score, uh, at least worked at the score in some way, shape or form. And many of them are in the States now, uh, which, which I mean, is, is, is extremely impressive. You're in the States now. And Nabil was also a guy that is at ESPN. He was on TSN before another former guest as well. Sarah Lasky worked on the score. 
and she moved on to TSN and has been doing great things here in City. Not to interrupt you, but Nabil was actually my first partner on Sports Center. So when I did my first Sports Center in May, uh, he was my partner, which which made it so much easier because like Nabil and I go way back, obviously Canadian media, and uh, we have very similar backgrounds as well. And so when we were paired up for that Sports Center, it was like this is great because I know him well. We have the same similar uh, vibe to us, and you know we're similar in age. And we have very similar backgrounds, so it just just felt right. And and we've done many sports centers since, and uh, yeah, it's been great. It's it's really been great. And I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, the Bill's another great example. Like he's he worked at TSN for many years, uh, grinded it out. He's great. And and I mean, look at him now. He's he's doing fantastic things at ESPN. I know firsthand because I worked with him a bunch. So. He must have been like Carl Weathers and Arnold Schwarzenegger from Predator. Like when, when you saw him. You know? with the, with the, yeah, exactly. With the handshake. Exactly. <laughs> I find it as a person who was a sports fan growing up like crazy and now wanting to get more into the scene of being in the, in the world of sports media, specifically in Canada and the U.S. It's so wild to see the evolution of some people's careers, especially Nabil. I watched him on sports center growing up as a kid and then seeing him at ESPN and being able to chat with him and then seeing that you guys have worked together and then being on the same show and learning how the things work behind the scenes. I think that's what is really fascinating is like seeing how the arts of, of uh, hosting, or I guess the illusion that fans don't see from behind, uh, behind the camera is what really makes for entertaining television. And you mentioned with, that creative juice being what helped helped you thrive at the score, I think is also what helps people thrive at ESPN since it's a huge, a huge company in comparison to TSN, obviously, but Hey, everything's bigger in America. Mind you, there's so many different creative avenues that ESPN utilize with the talent they have with their digital channels, with the sports they cover. Heck, whenever I see you covering like, on this day, 30 years ago, or NHL 94, look at this old game. Like I always love seeing that stuff because it's specific to certain audiences and it just stretches the reach. It's not just, here's the boring corporatized version of sports coverage. Please watch us because we're the only option. And I think that's what makes for really entertaining, yeah. you know, like sports viewing when it comes to ESPN. I, I mean, also I pitch what I love, right? I mean, I love video games. I'm going to continue to pitch segments on video games. I'm fascinated by NFTs. So I'll pitch segments on NFTs. Like I consistently pitch things that I'm personally very interested in. And also um, I, I try to pitch things that are a little off the beaten path because ESPN has plenty of NFL reporters. I don't need to be another NFL reporter. I, I don't have a desire to be an NFL insider. I have a lot of other places where my interests lie, right? And so I'm very happy occupying those spaces. I'm very happy, uh, not to say that I don't do what's asked of me. Of course I do. I mean, I believe me, like uh, if I were to put together a list of all the sports that or all the digital shows or whatever that I've done at ESPN, uh, it would be a very long list. And I'm extremely proud of that. But, you know, that to, to go back to your point about like uh, passion and preparation, like, you were sort of intimating that there, like really it's all about preparation and it's all about, you know, going, pulling back the curtain a little bit of on-air work. 95% of your work on the air happens off the air. Like, that's the thing. Like you have to prepare, you have to research, you have to, you know, here's, here's what we're going to be talking about on the show. Here's your specific assignments. 
how do you prepare for this, right? And you do that enough and you think of ways to present it in an interesting fashion. And that's where, that's really the secret sauce is, is, is make it interesting, make it informative, obviously, make it engaging and also make it your own because as cliche as it is, your personality is, is, is what's going to sell people on, right? That's what's going to hook people to want to see you. They're, not everyone's going to like you. Not, I mean, that's impossible for the entire world to like you, but you know, you're going to, you're going to thrive in the way that you present things when you're on the air. This is a very, you know, deep in the weeds conversation, but, but, but that, that, that going back to what you were saying there, that's, that's exactly what it is, especially when you're preparing for a show. So I want to ask you quickly, when did you realize that you wanted to be on television and be a broadcaster and host? So I um, grew up like loving uh, those jobs. I never thought that they were possible for me. I went to school for mathematics. I went to the University of Waterloo. And even there, like I went to nights and weekends instead of partying, I would go to the local, uh, the, the campus station, which doubled as a community station. Uh, it, it, it was like, you could hear it in Waterloo and Kitchener and, uh, and uh, Cambridge, the, the Tri-Cities. You could hear it across all of the, the Tri-Cities and even parts of like Guelph and stuff like that. It's a pretty, pretty big reach for a community station. And I also did the school paper and I don't know, I just caught the bug and didn't really realize it. I thought, oh, this is a cool hobby. Maybe I'll continue on with it after I graduate. But I got a desk job for a few years. And honestly, the more I spent time at the local public, like the Rogers TV, the more I just fell in love with it and said, you know what? I saved my money a little bit working the desk job. And I thought, okay, I'm going to give myself a couple years uh, hope, and, and dive into this hundred percent and see where it takes me. And that's what I did. And luckily it worked out for me. That doesn't work out for everyone. Uh, and I totally realized, I understand that there's been days where I didn't think it would work out for me either, but I just stuck with it and it worked out. And so you know, I mean, this, the industry is difficult, but it's very rewarding. It's very challenging, but it's very rewarding, like I said. And it's um, it's been it's been a heck of a journey for me. I, I I'm very blessed. I'm very humbled and honored, really, uh, to 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 have gotten this far and 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 been in the industry this long. And so I don't take that lightly at all. Uh, and I you know count my blessings and I say thank you every day uh, that I've been able to. Uh, make it this far and, and continue on because uh, ESPN's truly been a blessing for me. For sure. ESPN is the Mecca of sports coverage when it comes to companies across the world, basically. I mean, unless you're from the UK or you could argue sky sports or BN, but ESPN is a fantastic place to be. And you've done a lot of amazing work in a variety of sports. And before we finish our episode today, I want to ask a few quick questions to have some fun before we part. Okay. Okay, so first question I have to ask you is, according to your Twitter bio, you are a world record holder of in the realm of video games. Which record do you hold, and when did this happen? Well, I actually hold two records. Uh, the first, and they're both on a website called Twin Galaxies, which is sort of like the official video game world record holder. Uh, they're affiliated with the Guinness. Uh, I hopefully, eventually, will get into the Guinness World Records with these records. Uh, but that hasn't happened quite yet. They basically select certain records to to bring over every year, and mine haven't been yet. Uh, one of them is in NHL PA 93. That is the game before NHL 94, the, the GOAT of all hockey video games, as many people would say. Uh, the record is 
largest margin of victory for a two-person team. So it was myself and a friend uh, who just so happens to be the NHL 94 world champion. No big deal. Him and I uh, tag-teamed to uh, score. I think it was like a 45-1 to one score against the computer. Uh, don't worry. I carried my weight on this one. It might feel like it was a uh, lopsided contribution. I held my own. I was all right. And uh, I feel like I've earned my piece of the world record. Uh, but it is undisputed, and it's on Twin Galaxies. If people are doubting me, listening to this, watching this right now, you can go and check it out. Another one was we were at the – I used to do commentary for the NHL 94 World Championships. This is how I know everybody uh, in that community. And we just decided, you know what, let's break another record. So we had – I think it was NHL 96 where we just did, you know what, let's just do a largest margin of victory for people. So we picked one team. It was like all-stars against the worst team in the game, like, I don't know, Anaheim or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, so tough to coordinate everybody. I think we only won, like, 6 nothing. Like, it was, like, a really, like, it, when you first hear it, you're just like, that's a score that we could beat. Like, I could get three people with me, and I could beat that. But, like, it's been active for, I don't know, four years now. <laughs> like, I mean, if there's one record that I feel like should be broken by now, it's that one. But it's still <laughs> active, so I'm just going to claim to be a two-time world record holder. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, man. I will say that some old video games in around that time, you could really not rig the settings, but set up the coding, coding of the game to inflate your scores. I know hey, that. Hey, are you saying we're cheated? Are you saying we cheated? Is that what you're trying to say? No, no cheating. We I mean, 100% did not cheat, okay? It is a legit record, legitimate. I mean, it's, it's just as legitimate as when I was playing NFL 2K, the original with Randy Moss, the very first one. And what, what I did was maximum wind Vikings versus Panthers, the best team versus the worst team on rookie. And the way the wind blows in the game makes it so that you can recover an onside kick automatically every second quarter, like first and the third, like which would, whenever you have the wind against you. And I was up, I think 600, nothing like just after halftime, but it's 15 minute quarters, like trying to maximize. And eventually the game just bugged out because it was yeah. registering a score that was so impossible. So I love when you have old video games and just be able to set things up like that and see how far can I run up the score? How bad can I exactly. pound a team? That's the worst. And I think, you know, it's a, a world record is a world record, no matter how arbitrarily, you know, silly or amazing you think it is. That's your story. It's legit. So I find that that's a really cool thing to, to definitely have under yeah. your belt. Two of them. Yeah, exactly. Two of them. There you go. Thank you. Favorite video game of the 90s. Favorite video game of the 90s. NBA Jam. Well, I got two of them behind me. You can see them here. Uh, these are cabinets. So that's an NBA Jam right here. Mm -hmm. And then this is a Street Fighter 2. Both of them from the 90s. So those two for sure. Uh, what else? Uh, let me think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, so I... Are you more of a Street Fighter over Mortal Kombat guy, or is that a yeah, tough... Yeah, but I was Mortal Kombat as a kid, but, like, Street Fighter over time is great. Uh, Ocarina of Time is in the 90s. That's probably the GOAT uh, of the of 90s video games. Uh, Mario Kart 64 is definitely up there. GoldenEye is definitely up there. Uh, there's a, they're playing, the 90s was a great uh, decade for video games. I, I love the 90s. Most underrated video game console most underrated yeah ever Ooh, underrated so 
all the Nintendo consoles, I feel like, actually underrated console, the Wii U. I think the Wii U is very maligned. I think that it's misunderstood. The Wii U walked so that the Switch could run. Like <laughs> that that clunky uh, pad was basically the first Switch. Like you couldn't take it far. You could basically go, what, 30 feet in your house. But it really was the prototype for the Switch. The mm -hmm. Switch improved upon that. And it was also the first Nintendo console that was in HD. So that was the first time you were really playing Super Mario games or Zelda games in HD. And technically, Breath of the Wild was a Wii U title release, even though it did come out on the Switch on launch day as well. It technically was a Wii U game. And so I consider Breath of the Wild to be the greatest video game ever made so far. I love the game. I think it's outstanding. It's a masterpiece, I think. And so I think that there, Mario Kart 7 was a Wii U game, Super Mario uh, Wii U and Super Mario U, pardon me, and I think Super Luigi U. There were some great Nintendo IP games on that console, but because the Wii was so good and the Switch was so good, it was kind of in a, like a dip generation. So I would say that that one is probably the most underrated console, especially for Nintendo. What's the best movie adaptation of a video game? Oh man, there haven't. Been, I mean, there's been there's some a lot of late, good ones, sure. Yeah, like the, I mean, in the night early on, it, they were bad. I remember the Wizard. Do you remember the Wizard with Fred Savage, <laughs> where in the was it the late '80s, and they introduced Super Mario Three. That was not a video game adaptation, but that was a movie that introduced a video game which blew my mind as a kid like i can't believe i'm seeing a new video game like the debut of a video game is in a movie like that would never that secret would never be kept today oh no way social media impossible happen. that would be super difficult yeah. to keep so uh i think that i mean there's a lot of fun series uh you know even the witcher series for example on netflix is is crushing it and there's a, there, I'm excited for more video games to get great movie adaptations because I think we're at that point now where we can really make them fun. Yeah, for sure. And that's, it, it is really interesting how, how much people have forgotten how bad movie adaptations were in the 90s. If you look at Street Fighter, the movie, or oh, even terrible. Super Mario was bad. Oh. Like, a lot of them were really, really bad, the, unfortunately. The, the first Mortal Kombat was actually pretty good. But then Annihilation was just brutal. Like that was, we're not even going to talk about that. That's, that was something just yeah. otherworldly to say the least for, for the listener out there. I must ask you, what is the most fascinating place that you've traveled to in Canada? Ooh, the Canadian Arctic for sure. Uh, it felt like a different country entirely. So we did, uh, I used to occupy the pro wrestling bubble pretty extensively. I worked in the independent scene, which basically is a lot of aspiring pro wrestlers trying to either make it to WWE or on their way down, like on their way up, on their way down kind of thing. And uh, we would put on independent wrestling shows across Canada, uh, mostly in Ontario. Uh, but one, uh, four separate occasions, we went to the Canadian Arctic, uh, Iqaluit, none of it. It was fantastic. Uh, I cherish those memories greatly because it was, it was, first of all, the terrain was unlike anything I'd ever seen. The buildings were on stilts, essentially, uh, on, on permafrost in the event that the permafrost would melt. Uh, it was like 23 hours of sunlight parts of the year versus one hour of sunlight parts of the year. It was just a, a surreal experience. And, you know, being able to immerse yourself in the culture there. We went there and did a lot of... Uh, 
uh, work in the in the in the community and charity work. We went to talk to all the schools. We went into the juvenile hall. We uh, did a bunch of community events. Like I thought that was very important to do that, not just you know bring a show. Uh, because in, in in as you might imagine, like Iqaluit is a three-hour plane ride from Ottawa north. Like that's very far, right? So uh, not much goes up there in terms of entertainment. So we were, uh, it was, it was crazy. It was like, it was like a, a city event or a community event for us to come up there and, and perform, which was, uh, so, uh, you know, it was, it was incredible. Like, I'm glad that the wrestlers were able to get that moment to be able to perform in front of those crowds because they were so into it and they, they loved seeing this because they don't, first of all, they didn't get much entertainment, but second of all, uh, you could tell that many of them in the crowd fell in love with wrestling that night because of what the, our performers were doing. So it was a very gratifying experience from that point of view. Uh, so, but, but even just geographically, like w- the way it looked and, and, and the culture there and the people and, 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 and the way of life is very different from anything you would see uh, in pretty much all other parts of Canada. So that definitely stuck with me. No doubt, Calumet. Most of the territories, especially there, Nunavut, being the least populated territory slash province in the whole country, but yet occupying more surface area than any other province or territory in Canada, is what makes it such an interesting place to travel. I've always found it fascinating and love asking questions of people who have been there before, and the reasons that they've been there are always very. One of them being entertainment or uh, a necessary sector that they don't have there or people traveling for sports tournaments. I've seen that before as well, whether it be officials or people organizing tournaments, because you're right, it is so remote and you do see those buildings on stilts, trailers almost on top of the permafrost mm-hmm. above the tree line. You don't see much, much else, but just the ice that stretches far and away, especially the the varying sunlight, everything. But I can only imagine what that experience would have been like and how much it would have impacted the community because they don't see that kind of stuff very often. And you're right. It is almost like another worldly experience, like a different country, even though it is at the very North of, of, uh, of Canada. It's just, it must, it must've been a moment. Like you said, it sticks with you for a long time. So I can only imagine how, uh, how fond those memories are. Very fond for sure. My final question for you is what is the number one motto that you live by? Ooh, uh, good vibes, acts of kindness. That's probably number one. Uh, always have that in mind. Uh, that's the paradigm by which uh, I choose to live and hope that many people do as well. Uh, it is uh, very important to me. Uh, I, I constantly think in that mode uh, to help others and to be a good person uh, because it's important. It's very, very important. And also that's what I want to teach to uh, my daughter now. And so uh, you know, to not just say it, but to live it, right? It's it's very different to say it publicly, but then to do it every day, uh, you know, you, it, it takes work. And I welcome that challenge every single day. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it's very trying days. There's very difficult days. Uh, but, you, you know, you wake up the next day and you try anew and you just work at, work at it as much as you can. Um, so that's that. Um, I can't think of like specific mottos or wording, but like really like keep the passion, uh, work hard, don't give up. 
Um, they, they, those all sound cliche, but they're, yeah. they're, they're really true. Like really people just look for different wording for the same idea, you know? Yeah. Like it, it's, it's, it's nice to hear a well-packaged quote, but at the end of the day, the sentiment is what's important and it's always the same sentiment. Uh, it's just, you just need to find the motivation to do what you need to do, you know? Uh, you know, whether people are like, oh, don't be outworked or, uh, you know, don't be the smartest person in the room. Like there's all, all of these things that I'm sure many people have heard time and time again uh, that, you know, contribute to uh, motivation. But at the end of the day, you have to have it within you. So that's, that, that's sort of what I would point to. Is there a specific person or events that has, that has really inspired the words you live by? Uh, I mean, I grew up idolizing Muhammad Ali. I think that he was a really good example of uh, somebody who you could learn from outside the ring as well, like what he stood for, but also how he conducted himself, particularly with the less fortunate. Uh, he was definitely an inspiration. Uh, there, there's, there's many people like that, I would say, that um, really go out of their way to make acts of kindness and, 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 and good uh, a part of their life. But Ali is just one. Muhammad Ali, one of the greatest of all time, super inspiring. And the, the things he stood for, how he conducted himself, you're 100% correct. That's part of what made him such an amazing human being, not just athlete. Yeah. With that, Art, I want to thank you for having been on today's episode. It was a great pleasure to speak with you about the world of esports, video games, your time at the score, and how being good person trying to strive to be better every day and bringing positivity to those positivity to others lives is such an important thing thank you so much for having been on it was a great pleasure thanks for having me thank you for listening to today's episode with espn host arda okow first and goal from the one this is it Stiegel. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Check out our social media pages for more at huddleup underscore MB. For full audio, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For full video, head over to YouTube at Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Tune in next week for another great episode. See you next time.